I mean, my, my boss told me, you know, like this is the worst idea ever to start the gents place. You know, he was a $2,000 an hour paid consultant in Bain and Company. He goes, you're 25 years old, you have no net worth. You have a son, six months old, who had a massive open heart surgery and you need health insurance. What are you going to do about it? You're starting a business and industry where you have zero experience. You're starting the highest price point business in an industry where you have no experience. It's the worst economy I've ever seen. I've always thought you're a smart guy, but man, you're really proving me wrong. And you've got to be able to just put blinders on and stay focused if you know that's what you want to do. Doesn't mean not to take feedback, but when you hone in on something, you go, I want to be an entrepreneur, be a freaking entrepreneur. Oil and gas today is more than exploration and production. It is more than the feet drilled or the hours of continuous pumping. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The Oil Field 360 podcast is a 360-degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a first-hand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oil Field 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, one of the largest and most experienced energy investment banking firms in the industry offering M&A advisory, capital markets execution, and investment research. For more information, please visit SimmonsPSC.com. Lockton Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly different. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit LockedIn.com for more information. Tomahawk Safety, a leading manufacturer of safety gloves ergonomically designed for superior fit, offering best-in-class protection and helping you combat the industry's toughest jobs. Tomahawk is also supporting our frontline healthcare workers by offering isolation gowns, gloves, masks, and other critical medical PPE. For more information, please visit TomahawkSafety.com. Range Valuation Services. Range is the only oil and gas-focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property, and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. Welcome to the Oilfield 360 podcast. We are coming to you live from the Fletcher Azul Tequila Studio in Houston, Texas. I am joined, as usual, with the co-host extraordinaire, Mr. David DeRode. Good morning, David. Good morning. Well, actually, I say good morning. It's afternoon. You you were on the phone so long in there that I've lost the morning. <laughs> these yeah. these days are going Man. quickly, aren't they? Days, minutes, months, years. I mean, how are you doing? Are you are you surviving coronavirus and the downturn I'm surviving coronavirus but 2020 truly is 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 becoming a year of issue man <laughs> there it does seem that anything that can go wrong is going to go wrong yeah yeah count on it 
Isn't that weird? I always, I really did think 2020 was going to be one of these. Like I thought every car should reinvent their car for 2020. It just feels like a futuristic number and it's just been it's brutal. Been, yeah. Total wet blanket. I, I tell you, I, uh, the only positive thing out of this besides getting to spend more time with your family is, is, uh, me being in the risk business. So when people look at me and I'm, they're going, well, that's not ever going to happen to me. I'll go, Hey man, do you remember 2020? <laughs> Don't ever say anything like that. And you might want to listen to me for a second. Mm-hmm. That's actually pretty funny. Yeah, that's uh, I hadn't thought about that. You can always point back to this for the rest of your career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, normally I'm going to some obscure deal, but now I've got like 2020. I think that will mm-hmm. that covers. Yeah, that's it, good for at least 20 years. At least. Yeah. So, well, so we're gonna have a we have a unique uh, guest. I, I say unique, just different for our our typical oil and gas audience. But as I, the audience knows that we peak really high in entrepreneurship. So we wanted to focus on bringing people uh, stories that are both oil and gas related with some, at least some connection. But then at the same time, if we find a world-class CEO that uh, is an entrepreneur that has success, we're going to bring them on. And that's what we're doing today. We have a special guest who came, I want to add, only to do this interview from Dallas this morning. That's right. And that person is Ben Davis, who is the CEO, founder of among other companies, the the primary one is the Gents Place, mm-hmm. which is a high end men's salon care. Help me out here. A I wanna... Men's grooming and lifestyle club. That's but, exactly what it is. Yeah. Imagine country club meets speakeasy meets barbershop. That is yeah. the best description. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Now there's one in Houston, and mm-hmm. as I said this to David, now for those of you who know David, this is not going to surprise you at all. I said there's one in Houston. It's like, oh yeah, I'm a member. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Well, I, I had the join because my old barber, he was a great guy. He used to he used to cut my hair at five thirty or six a.m. in the morning, which I know sounds crazy to you all, but try to use up as much of a day as I can. And he 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 got tired of it, I guess, and retired. So I've been kind of a nomad, and and uh, you know, I think what you've done is something I've been looking for for a long mm-hmm. time. It's it's kind of old school and and kind of neat. My only complaint, though, uh, about uh, the Jens place, and um, and Aaron, I'm speaking to you specifically, is they don't have any Fletch Azul tequila. That's it. So mm. we got to get some Fletch Azul tequila. Remedy that one, I think. Yeah. I think I think we can do something about that. So, so, I'm going to have to try the product first. Just well, to let you guys I hate know. To let you know we've drank all of what we have <laughs> on hand here. Yeah, I almost brought a bottle of my private stash from home, but we we we're, we're supposed to be getting a bunch of tequila in here, but. Yeah. We'll have to, you know, because Aaron lives in Midland and, and mm-hmm. Dallas part time, and you're up there, so we'll have to connect you guys. Yeah. So one of his partners is uh, Abraham Answer, who's a PGA golfer as well. Okay. So there's a lot of. We're going to talk about this later in the mm-hmm. in the podcast here. You have a lot of connections in the in the sports world, yeah, entertainment yeah. world. So before we get into all the cool stuff, and there's really just one topic that I'm just I can't wait to jump into. So, <laughs> um, the way you describe the gents' place is great, mm-hmm. but I and I want to get to that. But how did you get to the idea that I want to be an entrepreneur and mm. this is the segment I want to go into. How did that develop for you early on? I think I was always wired for it. You know, there's always a debate about whether entrepreneurs are born or, or made. But for me, like my case, I think it was always wired to, to do something on my own. One, I hated authority. My dad can attest to that. My dad was in the military, <laughs> right? He was like, there's something wrong with this kid. You know, I cannot train him to, you know, to comply. And so I think I was always wired to do something. I started a couple of businesses in college. Um, I intentionally took a job at a startup out of college, passed up all the big firms, big consulting firms. I graduated from UT, 
And I took a job at a startup internet-based insurance company. Was a fifth employee there, worked for a brilliant guy, Harvard MBA, who ended up, I worked there from five employees to 120. He ended up taking the company public a couple of years ago and is worth billions of dollars today, literally. Um, But I wanted to work in a place where I could see my thumbprint. I could see my DNA spread across the company. And so if I wasn't the entrepreneur, that was like the closest I could get, you know, as being that fifth employee. And so I think I was just wired for it, honestly. So you get out of school at 22, 23 years old. 21. 21. So just right out. Yep. And you're, what's your degree in? Uh, finance. Finance. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you did, you did pass up some pretty big uh, job offers, I would imagine, yeah. back then. Yeah. yeah. I remember I interviewed with a major consulting company and uh, they asked me in the interview, like, where do you see yourself five years from now? Starting my own business. And they're like, okay. And they continued with the interview and it was like a case interview. And I thought I like just nailed the case. And uh, they called me and said, hey, you didn't get the job. Would you like some feedback on, on you know, why we didn't hire you? Sure. You stated in the interview that you didn't want to be working for us in five years. <laughs> like, if you want a job, you probably don't want to say that. And I said, well, I was just being honest. That's fair. But in the company I ended up going to, Goosehead Insurance, I said that in the interview. You know, where do you want to be five years from now? I'll start my own business. He goes, great. That's the type of person we're looking for. And how long did you stay with him? Three and a half years. Okay. Yep. Yep. And recruited all, we have some mutual friends, but recruited all my, my friends from childhood uh, into the company and, and then ended up taking off and they've done really well. Is that our, is that our friend from San Antonio? Yeah. Dustin. Yeah. Okay. So Dustin, Dustin and several others. Yeah. Really? Yeah. All right. So we have a friend of ours, Dustin Tondry out of yeah. uh, Dallas. He's, he's great. And he'll be happy that we mentioned his name on here. Yep. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize that. So you're a San Antonio guy. Yep. Okay. And then yep. you make your way to Dallas. Make my way, yeah, via Austin with a short stint at NYU. I chased a girl um, who's now my wife. So she moved up to New York, was a year behind me. Didn't tell me that when she's graduating high school, uh, I'm going to go to New York City. So I found that out as soon as she accepted, you know, the, the offer to go up there. And so spent a year at UT, transferred to NYU. I get up there two months later. We're sitting at a Dunkin' Donuts in Manhattan. And two months after I moved there, she says, I don't think I want to live here anymore. Now, at that point, I'd racked up in like two months at NYU, $32,000 worth of debt, you know. So I ended up spending a semester at NYU, back at UT, and then up to Dallas. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then you're, that takes you, your, your Goosehead Insurance takes you to about 25. Mm-hmm. And then where did you go from 25 to? Yeah, so started the Gents Place, 25 right, right years at 25. old. Yep, right at 25 years old. Had a high income, but no net worth. And then I had zero income because I quit my job. But I got my SBA loan two weeks before Lehman Brothers collapsed in wow. September. So September 1st, I got my SBA loan approved. I think it was September 12th. Lehman's done. And I remember getting a call from my banker uh, because the construction process is going to take like 12 weeks to build the first store. Banker calls me and says, hey, uh, you haven't taken any money yet on your loan. I said, yeah, we're going to start construction three, four weeks. He's like, dude, send me an invoice to trigger this loan. Um, otherwise, we might take it back from you. I was like, you can do that? I'm already approved for the loan. He goes, Lehman just fell apart. Like, it's the largest bankruptcy in U.S. history. Send an invoice, like, now. Send a request for money. And so I remember calling my contractor. It's got to be, like, the best call he's ever gotten, right? Like, hey, I know you're not supposed to start construction for a month, but can I pay you now? Right. I mean, they turned that invoice around you know, very quickly. <laughs> so, yeah, I started, uh, I started September 2008. Got my SBA loan. December 08, I opened my first location. 
and I opened the day of my son's second open heart surgery. So he had rewind one year back, December 12th, 07. He had a 12-hour open heart surgery that saved his life. Wow. And the day we opened the gents' place, uh, he had a second. So I worked all day at the front desk and then drove from Frisco, uh, Texas, to Fort Worth uh, to be with him after his surgery. How's he doing now? He's great. 12 years old, multiple open heart surgeries and balloon angioplasties, but the kid's playing every sport imaginable. You'd never, never have any idea. That's, I love yeah. hearing that. That's awesome. That's some amazing technology in the world of healthcare advances that are saving kids' lives. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. All right. So that your first store was in Frisco, Texas. Yep. Okay. That's, and that's where I met you. I was, I lived in Frisco for a period. So, that's so right. why, why did you want to do the gents place? Why the gents place versus everything else that you could have? possibly done i think like a lot of entrepreneurs whether it's oil and gas or any other industry you're you identify a problem and you try to fix it well i think the first step is you identify a problem you see if anybody else has fixed it because that's just the easier path right and uh and then if no one else fixed it the way you want to fix it then you fix it yourself and so for me there are two things i hated most in life one was going to the grocery store and the other was getting a haircut and i avoided both at all costs I mean, I would remember going in, getting my hair cut twice as short as I wanted, so I wouldn't have to go back for twice as long, right? And so I thought, well, I really hate both of these things. Grocery store seemed kind of boring, low margins, a lot of money. The barbershop business, I started to look around and see if somebody had it figured out already. And I went in to numerous you know, businesses and uh, felt like the idea was there, but the execution was off. And so I had to make this decision on whether I sign up to be a franchisee of a group that doesn't really have it figured out, pay a bunch of money up front and six, 7% of sales in perpetuity, but I couldn't change it because it's not my concept. Or I could make thirty-five, dollars $40,000 in mistakes and six, 7% of sales in mistakes doing my own thing. But at least I'd be able to, to pivot that. And Josh, from the early time that you came on, you know, like you walk into Frisco 11 years ago. And then David, you walk into to River Oaks, gents place. And there's a lot that's changed. And that only could have happened with me being able to have control over tweaking it, listening to members, and then continue to refine the concept. You're how many locations now? Uh, we've got 13 open so far. But you're you're going to be going to 250. Is that what I read? Oh, uh, we've got yeah, a ton of franchises that we've awarded that kind of develop over time. I and mean, these things cost anywhere between 500,000 to 700 plus thousand to open. Mm -hmm. And uh, you got to get the lease and it takes, you know, eight, nine months to kind of from the time we award a license to actually get a place open. So, so I was, I, I can't hold back my excitement on this, but you mm -hmm. have partners in this business. Mm -hmm. Now you didn't early on. It was all you. Yeah. And you have, again, I'm from Dallas. So this audience yeah. is going to be just sick of me by the end of this, this <laughs> podcast. But so I grew up in the nineties in, in Dallas, Texas, mm -hmm. which if you were a child of the nineties, you had my freshman, sophomore, and senior year of high school, the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl. So I just assumed that every other year, every year, we were going to be winning the Super Bowl every single year. So it just, it was a great place mm -hmm. to be. And my favorite player was uh, Emmett Smith. Mm -hmm. I love Emmett Smith. I was, uh, if you can believe I played football, I, I was, mm -hmm. and I did. And my number was 22 because that's what Emmett mm -hmm. was. Hey, Rudy played football. Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> we have an entirely different finishing career. So Emmett Smith is one of your partners amongst uh, yes. Jerry Jones as well. Yeah. Yeah. So both of them came in as uh, investors and co-owners in the franchisor when we started franchising. And uh, I had known Emmett for over a decade 
um, when he started his first charity event. And he had a big charity poker and, and golf event. And they had asked us to come do straight razor shaves on some of his celebrity clientele's coming. And so I'd done a lot of philanthropic work with his organization, but we finally got him coming in as a client and he loved it. And I, you know, I don't think he'll care about me sharing this, but you know, his first experience in the gents place, he came in and got a straight razor shave and he came out and he spent like $400 on products. And I was like, wow, that's, yeah, that's great. And uh, part of the reason he did is because our barber taught him how to shave properly. And so we sold him a pre-shave oil and a shave cream and aftershave balm and an eye cream. And he's like, man, no one ever taught me how to properly shave. And, and I don't think like any of us or many of us are taught, you know, how to, how to, you know, shave properly. And so we're like, we're teaching a 40 something year old, you know, celebrity for the first time how to properly shave. And so he bought a bunch of products and just fell in love with the, the concept. And so I had bumped into him randomly, him, you know, coming in, we had just started franchising. I said, Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? we're franchising. Do you, do you have any interest in, in being an investor or, or being involved? And he said, absolutely. And uh, we set up a meeting. Uh, it was me, Emmett, his business partner, and then my business partner in, in the franchisor that I brought on. And within one meeting, start to finish, you know, we get done with the presentation. He goes, okay, I'll do it. And uh, it just happened so fast. Yeah. And I remember sitting at, you know, next door at the restaurant afterwards going, Man, did we, are we doing business? Is Emmett Smith our business partner now? Did that just happen? Um, but you know, the thing, and I think this is uh, applicable to every business, whether it's tequila or oil and gas or whatever, is like when partners come together and they're aligned on values, they're aligned on mindset, how they think about the world and, and themselves. And that's where Emmett and I really made a connection because you know, I said, look, the Gents Place is a brand that sells emotions and not haircuts. We sell positivity and confidence and empowerment. And we believe that when you look and feel your best, you do your best. And I remember he corrected me. He's like, when you look and feel your best, you perform your best. And he said, that's what Dion and Michael and I said back in the day. Like, if you remember these guys in the 90s, they were showing up in suits when they weren't in football uniforms, right? I oh, mean, yeah. Dion and Emmett and Mike Irvin, they all looked. Dion, Dion, baby. Prime yeah, that's time. right. Yeah. Prime time. And so they made an investment in their brands. And uh, Dion and, and Emmett in particular both had really great personal brands. And so that was something that was this kind of creed that they lived by is when you look and feel your best, you perform your best. And so we connected on that. And, uh, you know, I think the rest is, is kind of history in terms of being business partners. Man, I, I, I don't want to leave the subject. Can we just <laughs> can, can talk about any of this stuff? So, so, so when did Jerry Jones come in? Yeah, so interesting uh, story. I'd um, been friends with the CFO at the Cowboys, now global CFO at Cowboys, and uh, our friends had you know, played sports together and everything. And, you know, I had this, this dream of, you know, Jerry Jones being involved because they owned about 100 Papa John's franchisees. So they'd experience in the franchise business. And, you know, I, I knew the CFO well, and um, I came to the, the, to the CFO and he wasn't the CFO at the time. He was vice president of like tax and business development is what his LinkedIn profile said. Never really knew what Tom did. So I just said, Hey, I've got this, you know, Emmett's involved. And I was thinking about getting the Cowboys and I know Jerry's investing in some things. They just started this accelerator. Do you know who I would talk to about, you know, kind of pitching him on investment? He goes, yeah. I was like, great. He goes, it's me. And uh, he turned out to be the gatekeeper for all of Jerry's investments. Oh, wow. So he's like, tell me about it. And uh, 
we talked and, uh, and again, kind of happened fairly quickly. They knew franchising. They weren't invested in a franchisor. They were on the other side. So I think it was attractive to kind of, I imagine they would always wanted, wanted to have owned like a piece of Papa John's corporate, you know? And so for whatever reason, you know, I, I still don't know to this day kind of why it was a perfect fit, but, uh, but we were able to get a deal done fairly quickly. David, have you been to Frisco in the last five years? Yeah. Yeah. yeah have, that development up there is. It's crazy. It's, it's like nothing really I've ever seen that, you know, they've got the million dollar mile in Chicago that, what is that? Michigan Avenue. Mm-hmm. I've heard they call that little stretch of Dallas North Toll Road uh, the, the $5 billion. That's right. $5 mile. billion. Dollars. Yeah. So what's going on up there? I mean, what's happening? Well, I think it's a snowball effect. One is when you hear Cowboys headquarters is going there, you know, two years in advance, then everyone starts dreaming about the development. What else could kind of spawn out of that, you know? And so I think that was a big catalyst. Frisco was always growing, mm-hmm. you know, up to that point. So it's just probably urban sprawl and the tollways finished and everything. But they, the Cowboys putting their, their nameplate there. And then, of course, PGA Tour is relocating their headquarters, you know, to Frisco. And so now it's like, it's kind of the cool thing to do, right? If you're going to reload a headquarters, you've already seen some benchmarks, some data points, and Frisco shows up on the radar. And so Frisco's just looked at as a very business-friendly, like very pro-business um, and fun. And you have entertainment and sports, right? You've got kind of all these things coming together. So. Yeah. Um, they've, they've done a great job. So Schlumberger has a plant place up there as well. And it's, uh, do you see many oil and gas companies in the, in the world that you play in? I mean, what's that look like in the North Texas area for oil and gas? Yeah. Well, you know, Jerry's involvement in Comstock. So Comstock's in Frisco. Got a big presence there. But I mean, I just, from our, our Gents Place members, there's a lot of ONG guys that are coming in and out. And so it feels in my world, I guess maybe it's not as real life because, you know, typically people in oil and gas maybe are more affluent or, you know, need to look and feel their best or whatever. But we see a lot just coming through our locations in North Texas. All right. You have any, you do anything with the Comstock or just, it's just around that, that world up there? Just, just watch Jerry continue to print money. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> do you, you office out of the, that headquarters? I do. Yep. Yep. Number one Cowboys way. It is stunning. It's cool. We, we had a meeting in there. Um, what a friend of mine is a member there, and they got us a meeting in one of the the the, the Cowboys. You probably went to Cowboys Club. Club. Well, we yeah. went to Cowboys Club for lunch, but we actually had a meeting in a conference room. Okay. And I mean, I'm just walking there trying not to drool on myself. Yeah. And they have all like, the helmets. Yeah. And, yeah. I they're think like, they're numbered by the the years of the championship. So you're in like conference room 1992, yeah, or that's 93. Right. Or, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, see, this that's is cool. this is going off the rails here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Getting all excited. Hey, and I, I have to remind people it's America's team. So you have like carte blanche over you know America when you talk about the Cowboys. See, I, I, yeah, in Houston here, they they it's a bitter rivalry. Yeah. And uh, I like I like the Texans as well, but my heart. I mean, I just wish the Cowboys would start winning again. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have a bunch of other companies here as well, so I mm-hmm. want to touch, touch on those. How, when did you decide, all right, my bandwidth allows me to do something else, not just the Gents Place? Because you have um, Rascal, which mm-hmm. is an actual product company, mm-hmm. the grooming products, yep. right? And then you have some other different things I want to talk about too. Uh, rec- what is it? Rest Concierge. Mm-hmm. And then um, some charity work that you guys are doing as well with yeah. Operation Gentleman. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about those? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to identifying problems and fixing them, 
You know, so like our cosmetics line, we were importing a ton of products into the gents place from Spain and Italy and everything. And the straw that broke the camel's back was literally toothpaste falling off a ship in the middle of the ocean from Italy to New York City. You know, it's like, yeah, we couldn't get your product delivered. You know, you're really high end toothpaste because it fell off the ship. I'm like, I've had it. I've got to make my own product line right to control the supply chain. And so we ended up creating a product line and importing bottles from China and doing all the formulations here. Um, so problem solved. And then the big problem from a, a consumer customer service experience, which I think this is the future of, of retailing and of like many businesses, healthcare, oil and gas, wherever, is you imagine walking into a Nordstrom and Josh, you're looking for a suit for a wedding and you're looking for a pink suit. Okay. Oh, you. Dave, uh, that Dave was not going to like I, that. I, saw, I know. I saw David's pink shirt. So, you know, the, yeah, exactly. I'm not afraid to wear pink. What, what do they call these shirts? <laughs> it's a guayavera. A guayavera. Yeah. It is. It, you wear those better than anybody I've ever seen. Well, you know, if my day job goes to hell, I can always go work at a Mexican restaurant, you know, taking margarita orders. And I mean, those are thing, fully you know. monogrammed. They look great. Yeah. yeah. I, I did not wear my pink. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I feel a little left Well, Josh out. has got his pink shoelace. That's right. Yes. So, you know, I know. I, we I, like to coordinate. Somebody. Yeah, we look good. <laughs> so Josh is going in for his pink Yeah, you got to stay. We're going to take <laughs> you completely off the rail. You got to bring yourself back on this interview. <laughs> uh, well, I had to step over all these empty tequila bottles here. Yeah. So I'm assuming that, you know, maybe you've, you've had a little That's bit. That's right. Good morning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you go in and, and you're going into Neiman's or Nordstrom or wherever, and uh, you, the salesperson meets, Josh, welcome back. We're so excited to see you. And you go, I need a pink suit. Oh, hold on one second. Thank you for calling Nordstrom. This is Susie. How may I assist you? And you're staring at her with her cordless phone that was hooked to her belt. Talk for a minute or two and then put it down and go, I'm so sorry. You said a green suit? And you go, no, a pink suit. That's right, a pink suit. We have the perfect one. Hold on one second. Thank you for calling Nordstrom. That would never fly at Nordstrom, right? It's having their sales reps answering the phone, doing customer service. And so I had this kind of epiphany because I was seeing all of this happen inside my clubs, my locations, they got busier. It was like, this guy wants to buy a membership, but she needs to get a beverage at the bar. And then the phone's ringing off the hook because we're doing a great job. It just didn't make any sense whatsoever, just like it wouldn't at Nordstrom. And so we ended up separating the entire phone system, customer service um, system, away from the front desk. So now we have ResCon or ResConcierge is an omni-channel concierge support company. So phone answering, live chat, email, SMS, and outbound sales. Um, that takes all of that off of our locations. And now we're in multiple industries, um, financial advisors and property managers and soon-to-be oil and gas, et cetera, where if you are premium brick and mortar um, service business in particular, it makes no sense for you to do transactional work um, over the phone. While you're, you should be laser focused on Josh, helping him find his, his pink suit, or in our case, buy a membership or get a beverage at the bar or whatever. So that business got a lot of traction over the last few years since we've started it. And uh, we see the future of customer service uh, going in that direction. And this isn't outsourced to another country where it's really hard to understand people and we're trying to save money. This is 100% onshore, really great customer service. And when the people get off the phone, they go, thank God they hired somebody else to do that work. Those people are fantastic. You know, and then we started a nonprofit that focuses on veteran um, uh, initiatives. We do a suit drive every year. 
my dad's a veteran. My mom uh, went in and out of Department of Defense and did a tour in Afghanistan and Iraq, and we're just um, really focused on taking care of our veterans. Um, to you know, healthcare, I'm an advisor in several healthcare companies. So as you can see, you know, I really hate um, starting new businesses and, <laughs> and you know, being involved in new concepts. One of the things that David pushes really hard, and to me, as I'm, David and I are business partners in, mm -hmm. in this as well, is it's focus. You know, yeah. David's he's all about focus, and I tend to be less than focused. David, is that fair? Yeah, but don't get me wrong. Don't um, don't discount yourself. I mean, I've got a touch of the ADD. I've got to remind myself. It took many years of you know disappointment and beating that into me. It's a focus is a tough thing to do, but it certainly differentiates. Uh, it's all about the execution. Well, how do you stay focused on that front? I think the the businesses have to be synergistic in some way and they may not look synergistic but if you're able to share the same back office that's synergies right like if you can tap accounting and, and other things that you're doing into a totally different vertical i look at that as synergy some are very clear like cosmetics line rascal we're selling that in the store and the gents place store makes sense or the call center makes sense but once i'm in a business even if i create it just for myself to do things better um, what I have a hard time doing or maybe a good time doing or what I'm good at is once I'm in a business, like I want to grow it. I, I can't imagine a, owning a business where I go, we'll be fine just not growing this thing. <laughs> you know, it, it'll be okay over here just making the money it's making. I just don't have that in my DNA. And so um, for me, it's I try to do my best knowing that I'm wired that way is like, if I'm going to get in this, I'm going to naturally go 110%. I'm going to go hard. Am I prepared for that? Like, if I'm going to start the call center, do I really want to be in that business long term? Do I want to do that outside of the gents place? That's what's really going to make it work and make the cost come down for myself and everything. And so that's kind of the check that I have to do for me personally is, do I want to be in it five years from now? Do I want to be at 10 years from now? Do I really want to grow this thing? Right? Or does it it's just the short-term piece attractive for me. You were you were Dallas forty under forty guy. Mm -hmm. You're probably right at forty now. Not yet. Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're, you're making us look old and bad here. I know. Well, our, you know, our mutual friend Tim. I remind him he's many <laughs> years older than me. He's in a totally different decade. He is. Yeah. He's older than I am too. I like to make him make Tim to talk, Tim take. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, well, okay. So thirty-seven. So you won forty under forty. You were really even thirty under forty when you won that. I would imagine. Or yeah, under 30. I think I was 29. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's some other notes that we had where there's lessons learned. Between the last 15 years, what are, what are some of the lessons learned that you look back on like, man, I really wish I'd have known that? How, how, I mean, what, and you, there's some other things with regard to uh, the, the workforce. That's where that note mm -hmm. came from, David. It was the, the employee of the future, the evolution of the employee. Mm -hmm. I mean, what does an employee look like today versus 15 years ago? What does Ben Davis's outlook on that today look like 15 years ago? Man, I've changed so much. Like, I feel like it's just another lifetime. 11 and a half years ago when I started the Gents Place, I'll tell you a story that epitomizes this, is I'm a year into my business. Sales are great. Everything's going great. I own my own business. I'm over at the restaurant in the shopping center, kicking back a couple of beers, and it's like 12.30, 1 o'clock on a Tuesday or something. And the guys that own the restaurant also owned a chain of barbershops, and they owned a bunch of restaurants, experienced Brinker executives. And uh, they uh, come in, they're like, hey, man, 
how's it going? I'm like, great. They go, business must be good, huh? Oh man, crushing it. At that point, I'm doing like, I think I did like $500,000 in sales in my first year, but it's like, man, that's, you know, I've never grown a business to 500,000 in sales. I'm drinking beers on a Tuesday afternoon. And I know like they're looking at me going, that dude doesn't get it. Like he's going to learn his lesson. And so for me, like, I wish I would have, I wish I would have stayed disciplined, you know, early on. And I could have done so much more if I knew what could have been coming, which was massive employee problems. You know, the, the manager said, don't worry, I got it. You can go to the restaurant and drink beers. I've been managing for 20 years who almost destroyed my business. I had, no, I had no experience in the business. I never cut hair in my life. It's a bad economy. We're the highest price point in town. I'd never managed artists. And so for me, I, you know, I don't know if I could have. I don't know where I would have gotten that insight besides someone just pulling me aside going, dude, you don't effing get it. You know, I wish I would have had that. And so I try to be that for as many people as I can. Even if they never talk to me again, I'm like, hey, <laughs> I know you're excited. I know you're going to take over the world. I know you're going to open hundreds of these things. But have you thought about this? Have you considered that? So, man, I, I could spend hour, I could spend 10 hours telling you how my, my perspective has changed, you know, completely. But maybe it's being more humble. Maybe it's just the, you know, the, the experience that you go through, ups and downs. That's interesting. You mentioned employing artists, which I guess really you do mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the service business, no matter what industry is tough, but particularly when I think about, you know, people, whether it's food service or, or grooming service, mm -hmm. et cetera, it's gotta be tough, but I, I related kind of to the oil field. You've got, uh, fishermen, which are guys that fish junk out of the hole that's mm -hmm. dropped down there or whatever. And you've got, um, directional drillers that are kind of specialists. And I mean, they're like. They're nomads, man. They can go anywhere, you know, so if the culture is not right or whatever, they can wreck your business. Mm -hmm. I would imagine probably the same thing with your artists, your barbers and stylists and this, that, and the other. How do you manage that? How do you, how do you keep them committed, uh, involved in, in wanting to come back and not, not trying to go set up their own shop, which I would imagine, you know, barrier to entry can be fairly low, mm -hmm. but how, how do you do that? Well, it's I, like you talk about the kind of the fisherman guy and all these different personalities. My initial reaction was, these people are weird. They don't get it. And at some point, I'm going to will you know, myself into their understanding of what they, how they should be thinking. And that didn't work. And so what I did is I dove into their world. I'm like, huh, they think differently. They use a different side of their brain. Let me try to better understand. Let me ask questions. Let me listen to the same books they're listening to or watch the same shows. Like I entered their world and it was really cool. It's actually a pretty amazing world. I used to make fun of like, oh yeah, okay, so you want to do hair part-time and then you want to be a yoga teacher part-time. Like telling my buddies like freaking yoga teacher. Like, <laughs> well, guess who does yoga two or three days a week now, right? And so... I just tried to fundamentally understand their thought process and what they cared about. And um, these artist types, whether they're the artist types in oil and gas, the creatives, like they really have a fun time, like living life. Now they run into some, some road, you know, speed bumps and stuff because maybe they're not the best at budgeting. So you got to teach them that, but free spirited people, 
innovative. Like they feel their way around the world. I never felt my way around. It was either black or white. It's ones or zeros, right? Totally analytical, process oriented. And so I just dove into their world and, and I kind of took a piece of that and I understand my staff so much better. Our retention rate is like the highest in the industry. We've got people who've been with us for 10 plus years, multiple people. And it's because I made that connection. I didn't think of them. I was calling hairstylists crazy, you know, which a lot of people would. Oh, freaking hairstylists, man, they're crazy, right? Um, to they're crazy, but it's actually pretty cool, right? Let me tell you about how they think. So that that's how I did it. Is I I realized that they and within every human that exists on this earth, like there is something I can learn from them and something I can appreciate about about them and how they think. No, that's 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 helpful. So you mentioned something helping. Are you are you helping develop them? You know, outside of them working for the Gens Place or working at the Gens Place, I guess. Mm-hmm. Are you you mentioned educating them on? Yeah. Talk to us about that. Big time. Every Wednesday morning, every single Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., I don't miss a single single week. I host 100% of all of our employees, franchise or not all across the country, for personal and professional development. Every week, like, it's, it's my church, right? Like, Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., I'm, I'm not doing anything else. And we go through personal and professional development. We learn how to be more kind or more caring or more thoughtful or better build better leadership skills. Fridays at 10 a.m. every week, I take all my leaders and my franchise owners and we go through a leadership development, investing in ourselves, sharing best practices. I don't miss it. And then rewind in the week every Tuesday morning, 7.30 a.m., like clockwork. I don't miss it. I do an open Q&A with anybody in the company that I directly employ. And so I, you know, I saw that Mark Zuckerberg does these town halls years ago and people really appreciate him going out there and saying, all right, who has a question for me? Don't make it a softball, right? Challenge me. I go, how the hell am I going to do that? With distributed workforce, everyone's got different shifts. And so we did a, a Zoom call Tuesday morning, 730. So a text message goes out the night before to everyone automatically. Don't forget Q&A with the CEO at 730. And uh, we'll have people that hop on that are specifically there because They've asked their manager a question that couldn't be answered, or they had an idea, or they just they just show up for the entertainment, you know, because we have fun. Yeah. Um, so it's just like that's two and a half hours a week that I will not miss in my business to invest in it. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're right back to the show. Prang and Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang and Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit prang.com. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust. A leading provider of U.S. oil field research known for its original boots on the ground research approach, as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for more information. Galtway Marketing. Answer this question. What makes your company different? You have seven seconds to catch a customer's attention. 
Galtway Marketing can build your brand and craft your message for maximum impact across all your marketing efforts. Visit galtwaymarketing.com slash O360 to bring your company into the 21st century. Thank you to our sponsors. And now back to the show. I think that's critical. I, I look at I look at a lot of my client base, which work with a lot of operators, mm-hmm. uh, but I also work with a number of service companies. And you have a lot of turnover. You have cultural issues. And I think a lot of these guys, they don't necessarily focus on continuous development and improvement <clears throat> of their most valuable asset, which is their their people. Mm-hmm. So I applaud you for that. Mary Ann, who uh, cuts my hair at River Oaks, mm-hmm. uh, she's an interesting gal. She used to work with UFC, the fight yeah. stuff, you know. And sh- she's talking about the Zoom calls and stuff that you guys do, yeah. which, which I think is pretty cool. So Yeah, you have to get me some intel there on what you're Yeah, yeah well, I haven't, I haven't really dug into it with her, but I'll, <laughs> but I'll have to. I'll have to. So... Uh, you know, I'm I'm sitting here listening to that, and the oil and gas business is going through a bit of a transition right now for the reasons that we mentioned earlier. And it's it's not going to be the same industry in when it comes out of whatever it's in right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, there's things you're talking about that I really I hope that the industry picks up the artistry of it, if you will. Um, there's there's a big push on what's called ESG mm-hmm. in in our world, which is it's it's more prevalent in the other well it applies across all industries definitely you know there's certainly people against the oil and gas business that are utilizing it to focus on make it the big bad industry from an environmental perspective well environmental social and governance right and what it's what it's doing though is it's really making companies large companies take a very public and deep dive on their company and it's not just you know are we making money but how are we spending money Mm -hmm. how are we what are we doing for the environment how are we trying to be better citizens of the world and then ultimately, how are we taking care of our employees and, mm-hmm. and our people? And I think that I think we're seeing more and more development on that front. Well, there's a lot of lip service in that regard, and I th- and I think they're they're putting these statements out there. They're not actually doing anything. Mm-hmm. You actually are doing something, which I think is fascinating because they do care about the investments. I think in a lot of industries, people have struggled for a while. Well, this company is in this industry; they should be doing well. Mm-hmm. Well you might have a lousy management team or you might have a toxic culture. You know, the governance is not there to see, hey, we need to listen to what's going on in our own business and we need to to improve. We actually need to listen to our customers, Mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people don't do. And they don't listen to their people. And so if you listen to your customers, you develop your people, you keep your principles. I think this is where a lot of folks are getting off into a ditch, from my opinion, is that particularly around diversity, inclusion, this, that, and the other, there is a, there, every company organization needs to have its principles. But I do think mm. that without, without giving on certain principles, you can make adjustments. Like what you just said, I think is pretty impressive. The fact that you've largely got a, um, an employee base that may not necessarily be wired the same way as you are, but they're critical to your success and you're willing to say, Hey, I don't necessarily understand them, but I've got to. Mm -hmm. And, and investing that way, I think the reality is there's, it goes back to focus and execution. It's like people are either lazy or they're not. And sometimes doing the right thing takes a lot of work and, and focus. And I think a lot of folks just think that if they go and start something that things will just happen. Mm -hmm. And they're the guys that are drinking beer at, you know, 12 <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon and while their, their business is being destroyed. Yeah. What is, I mean, I what like is your uh, 
customer base look like? And, and how does it develop over the last 10 years? I mean, is it different than it was 10 years it ago? It is. It's getting younger. You know, the, the uh, customer base 11 and a half years ago um, is like a different decade. And, you know, everyone's gotten older and some people have retired. And, um, and so I read a stat that by 2025, 75% of the U.S. workforce will be defined as a millennial by birth year. That's five years from now, three quarters of our entire workforce, right? Kind of makes sense because that's uh, millennials will be in their 30s and 40s. And that's the, the bulk of the working class. And so um, we've seen our demographic get younger um, over time. And, and I think there's, uh, there's tweaks in the business model that we've made. You know, we used to only sell annual memberships. Now we sell annual and monthly memberships, more budget conscious yeah. because millennials like Micro luxuries, right? That's kind of the the term that's thrown around there. They want to feel like a million bucks, but spend a hundred a hundred dollars, right. right? What's I mean? Are they more demanding than they've ever been? Because I would think, I mean, I know I'm a different consumer today than I was ten years ago. Yeah, I mean, part of that's money, but at the same time, it's just expectations. I, I, so I moved from Dallas to Houston, and I was spoiled by the gents' place. Mm-hmm. I just, I loved it, and when I came down, there wasn't one down here. I tried to join one that was similar in its, you know, at least advertising. And it just, all I found myself, I turned to that crotchety old man that was just sending emails like, this this wasn't good enough. And yeah. I, you know, similarly, at, like in a country club, I nobody wants to talk to me anymore there because all I do is just complain about, mm-hmm. you know, French fries or something. Yeah. So, I mean, I just imagine that the your your customers are getting more demanding as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not, it's not our industry. It's the oil business. It's everywhere is it's really easy to make a complaint and be anonymous and do it over and over again and actually make a negative impact on a business. You have enough people that get online and give you really bad Google ratings. You're going to see a material impact in your business. Your revenue is going down. So it's a dance, you know, you don't want to pander to, to customers that, are the 1% that you really don't want. But you also know that they, they can, right? If there's enough of them that build up, they can make a difference. And so um, I think it goes back to like, you know, leadership and investing in your people is how do they think about that? Because if you have a culture of complaining about Josh Lowry, oh, there's Josh Lowry again. Yeah, that guy's always complaining about stuff. We try to never speak poorly about our members and our guests, right? Instead, it's like, He's not a good fit with us, right? We're going to try to to make him happy, but we have a business model. But we're not right for everybody, and that's okay. And we can end that relationship peacefully and go, you know what, Josh? The country club down the street seems like a better fit for you, right? And here's why. Yeah, I'm waiting for that. They've got got really hot french fries over there. (laughs) Are you really complaining about the french fries? Oh, man. So the Woodlands (laughs) Country Club. Is I moved from Dallas where Stonebriar Country Club, mm-hmm. and it's just great. Stonebriar is it's amazing. So I moved down thinking the Woodlands was going to be the same, and it's gotten better. I got to give them credit on this. But I realized as I was writing some just terrible email to them, like, what am I? What have I become? But I <laughs> these French fries were no good. <laughs> so I was just so pissed about it. I complained about the size of the cheese that I ordered my cheese plate one time. Like, yeah, this is where I went. It was a dark time, David. There was. Oil was low. Nothing was happening. So you're just going to beat people up over French fries huh? on an email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> it was brutal. Under an alias too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was uh, some more pre-show research. You, th- you kind of, 
I, I did some last night, but then early, I got up early this morning. Mm-hmm. It, there was an article written about you, and one of the questions there was, who's your hero? Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily going to ask the same question again, but mm-hmm. what ended up happening was, you, you mentioned Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. So I spent 45 minutes this morning reading about Benjamin Franklin mm-hmm. and his wife and his, how he had children and all this stuff. So I, if I, can, I appreciate the impetus to go look him up and read about him. I didn't mm-hmm. quite know what I know now. What, is he really your hero, or is that just uh Yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's considered to be, you know, America's original entrepreneur. And he, he did not ever seem to be concerned about making more money than anybody else. He just loved discovering new ideas and taking that idea and making something real out of it. Because there's a lot of idea people out there, but actually creating something real from pixie dust it's like the coolest thing ever to me, right? To go, man, we should do something like this. And then you actually do it. Even if it doesn't become the next billion dollar company or you IPO or you make millions of dollars, like there's not that many people in the world that can consistently take an idea and make it real, like make the physical product, actually set up the, you know, the entity with the state of Texas and get the phone number and the email address and actually go out and hire somebody, right? Like most people bail along the way, you know? And so that was Benjamin Franklin to me is like, he's the guy that's like, I got an idea and I'm going to make it happen. And I got another one and I'm going to make it happen. And so that's what I admire. You know, I don't, I don't admire the guys that have made billions of dollars uh, because they figured out that one, you know, that one way to arbitrage and buy here and sell here, or they got lucky or whatever. I, I admire the people that can actually create and and build something to some level. It's all about the execution. I tell people you put the plans of a nuclear bomb out on the street if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And the reality is the amount of people that could actually probably take those plans and do something with you can count on your hand. You know, and, and so it's all about execution across so many things. I think that's 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 critical. I think a lot of people today have this, and I think Wesley Hunt talked about it. You know, be the victor of the vic, you know, or be the victim. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of folks they get so sometimes they're so close they don't even see it. They can't even see it. They don't even know. Mm-hmm. And and then they just stop. And it could have been another day of mm-hmm. effort or whatever, and things would just clicked over for them. But it, you know, that it's all about the pursuit. And and uh, the tenacity and grit mm-hmm. and so much of that missing today that uh, in some ways it's fortunate for some folks because it allows them to execute if they you know less competition. But at the same time, though, um, it's 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 critical, and I think it's something that's missing out of our educational yeah. curriculum and and uh, people's lives. That this truly is a a, a great country where if you put your mind to something you can do whatever you want to mm-hmm. do you just might have to work harder than other people but you could still do yeah. it and to uh, david's point there's a there's a story about the woman who <clears throat> the first woman to swim the english channel she starts swimming she has her team with her and they're only there to make sure she is an emergency to grab her they can't help her in any other way can't give her any information so she's swimming across and uh, a fog rolls in and she's just swimming and decides, I, I'm not going to make it. I'm, I'm tired. I can't do it. And she, they said, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Pick me up. So they pick her up, pick her out of the water. 
and they they driving out, you know, less than half a mile, and all of a sudden the, the fog breaks, and there's the coastline. And she's just devastated, as you can imagine. She's mm-hmm. like, you've got to be kidding me. It's right there. And then she went back, was mildly depressed, and they interviewed her. And she went back in, a couple months later and swam it, beat the time, and she did it. And when they interviewed her the second time, she said, you know, had I known I was that close the first time, I would have, I would have never have stopped. I, mm-hmm. I could have kept going. And I just I try to remind myself sometimes, like, you know, again, going back to the oil and gas business, it's a dark time right now. Mm-hmm. It really is. And there's a lot of people, we're losing a lot of talent that doesn't have to leave. Mm-hmm. That's young, 35 years old, looking at this going, all right, where's the next 10 years of my career best served? And, you know, we believe that it's, it's in this industry, but it's very hard to see anything right now past the, the fog. So uh, is there a moment in your development of these companies where you're, you just couldn't see shoreline and you were like, I'm done or I'm almost done. Yeah, well, and I have to make a comment on the oil and gas business because this has been this has been on my mind for so many years. It's like I equate I try to compare the gents place to the oil business. And the oil business is you can't control your price. Your price changes like every day. You can't control what you sell your product for. So in that sense, you can't control your margin. Yet you've got to make investments that are 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 year investments. I'm like, that would be like me waking up every day and my haircut price is $50, but I wake up tomorrow and it's $19. Like I would immediately be out of business. And I think about that. I'm like, man, I have so much respect for people in this business because like if anyone can weather an OPEC plus a COVID crisis, it's the ONG folks have been in it a while and have experienced pain and adversity. Like if anyone can do that, like these guys can, like this industry can, because I can tell you, I'm not cut out for it, man. Like if my, if I didn't know every morning when I woke up that my haircut price is going to be $50, if it was going to be 42 some days and then 90 the next and then 19 and then I wouldn't even enter the business. Right. Like, and I have an extreme risk tolerance, like extreme. I'm looking at it going, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. So I just have a lot of respect for people that enter that business. I think a lot of those stories need to be told by guys that have said, hey, let me tell you a story about 20 years ago, about 10 years ago, about 30 years ago. Let me tell you what happened and how we got through it. You know, the real key is debt. Just don't, when, when you hit 92, don't buy a Ferrari. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> when you hit 19, Try to live your life the same at 19 as you would 92, right? And that's really what it, what it boils down to is mm-hmm. not having the debt to where you can survive as long as you can in these downturns. You know, there is, a, there is an up and down in every business. I'm, I'm sure that there is in yours as well. When, you're, when your clients have uh, expendable cash, business is probably better than when a recession hits. Mm-hmm. So it is just a matter of, you know, we all, anybody, any, you mentioned that you get phone calls too about being an entrepreneur. I do mm-hmm. as well. And Everyone wants to start a business, right? And I've, I've heard the term entrepreneur versus mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, but everyone wants to do it. And how do you do it? How do you do it? And I always tell them the same thing. Number one, don't have any debt. Mm-hmm. Be debt-free is the only way you have a chance to survive this thing because yeah. there will be times when you make a lot of money and there'll be times you make no money. So Yeah. Well, th- those are most of the retailers that got completely obliterated were PE-backed, changed hands multiple times, levered up. So a 5% dip in sales over the course of six months or 12 months, they were already at risk of not making debt payments. 
let alone not a 5%, but like a 100% drop in revenue, you're toast because you're so levered up. So I, I agree with you. And it's hard because debt's cheap. You can use it for growth, you know, and, and you sometimes you go, man, it's so cheap. It's just better to borrow money because I'm making more money over here on my investments. Um, and so I found that that to be a challenge is when to use debt and when not to or don't use it at all. But then you might, you know, you, your competitors are growing faster than mm -hmm. you because they're willing to take on a bigger risk. You mentioned, uh, you, you said a saying a second ago where you said you, you've got an incredibly high um, risk uh, tolerance. You know, risk yeah. tolerance. Mm -hmm. So I heard Jerry Jones, back to the Cowboys, mm -hmm. I mean, it had to come back at least one point before <laughs> the end of this. I heard him speak one time, and he said that he realized early on that he had a high tolerance for ambiguity. Mm -hmm. And I love that phrase. Mm -hmm. I thought that is a phenomenal way to look at it. And I didn't have a high tolerance for it at the beginning. Uh, I was, I am black and white, believe mm -hmm. it or not, as opposed to my pink shoelaces mm -hmm. here. But it, you really had to, I, I really had to train myself to be okay with some of the unknowns that were coming my way. So I, I just know that that's something that, that any entrepreneur is going to have to choke down. I don't know if that's the best way to say it, but it might be. You got to operate in a lot of gray area and it's not like, uh, like legal versus illegal. It's you can make any decision you want and none of them, there's no right decision. You know, there's just the one that's best for your business at any given moment. And so it's just not clear. There's no clear path, you know, in entrepreneurship most of the time. Um, and sometimes we, you know that that's the right path and for sure. And like everyone's telling you that's the way to go. And then you go there and then you're wrong. You know, and so I've kind of gone down some of those rabbit holes before. So yeah, you have to you have to be able to embrace ambiguity and the gray area and just the overall sense of I don't know. I got a, a guy in Dallas that sold a private jet company a few years ago, and when he had first started, he sold it fast. He started the business and sold it in a few years, and he was he came into the gents' place one day, and uh, I was like talking to Nick and like, hey man, how's business going? You're just getting started. He's like. Oh, yeah, it's going going okay. It's crazy hiring all these employees. And you know, he had worked for a multi-billionaire before and kind of got, I think, the confidence and seeing something from start to finish, you know, and seeing these exits and everything, but never started a company on his own. And uh, he's like, yeah, it's kind of crazy hiring all these people. And I remember he leans in, we're in the small room, he goes, dude, neither one of us know what the fuck we're doing. <laughs> Let's be honest. But all of our people think we do, and we're just making shit up as we go. And then he leaned back, and I was like, yep, you're right. <laughs> but we always pretend, you know, or, or I think maybe I did early on, right? Drinking the beer is like, I know, what's, I know what I'm doing. I know about it, and I can give all the advice, and right? And the truth is, like, we don't know everything as entrepreneurs, but all of our employees look at us and go, what's the answer? And so I think I've finally gotten to the point over the last several years where I'm comfortable going, well, what do you think the answer is? Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Oh, you don't know? No. You probably know better than I do. You're on the front lines. Well, I think we should do this. That's a great idea. But being comfortable not knowing the answer, right? And just like that's that, you know, being comfortable with this ambiguity is sometimes you don't know and many times you don't. And many times your people know better than you do. And so don't put all that pressure and that burden on you as a leader, you know, and cause you could be leading them the wrong way and they may know the answer, but they feel like they need to ask you because they don't know if they have permission to come up with it themselves.
that's the unfortunate thing I think in this world mm-hmm. when I think about friends of mine that are managers of companies, particularly publicly traded companies. And I think the investment community, uh, they're looking for certainty. Mm-hmm. And there is no certainty in life. But they they create this situation where these these you know CEOs, CFOs, whatever, feel like they've got to have certainty. And to your point, mm-hmm. I think they make some decisions that had they taken the time and said, you know, I don't necessarily know everything. Maybe I should go talk to that person, you know, in the field office or whatever it might be and get their thoughts, ask them how they might handle these things. I think there would probably be a lot of mistakes that would not have been made mm-hmm. had that but there's that pressure to to do that. And and if you were to be honest like that, they hammer you anyways. Yeah. And it's like you, it's a it's a double edged sword. So mm-hmm. when once you make the that's the, the problem too. It it compounds itself. Once you feel the pressure to give the answer, even though if you're not real sure, and then you state that this is what the answer is, now you're committed, especially if you're a public CEO, right? Public company CEO, or it's on a recording or you said it in front of 100 people, it's like, now you're going there. Because you can't go back uh, the next day and go, you know what, I've been giving this more thought. We need to go west instead of east. And you could, but it's hard, right? And so I think that's like, now you've just, you've, now we got to go that direction. We've already said we're doing it. Yeah, and I you know, that's interesting. You know, there's a lot of comment around executive pay and this, that, and the other. And, and I think there's, there's, there's bad actors and everything, right? And there's some self-serving that that takes place. But I don't think the average person who says, oh, this guy's bad or whatever, mm-hmm. they don't understand that concept because they're not in that position where you've got to make a decision. And in the Marine Corps, Zan Fox, one of our guests said, you know, failing to make a decision is absolutely unacceptable. Like, you've got to make a decision. Now, it may be the wrong decision, mm-hmm. but you've got to make a decision. And um, I don't think people really appreciate that. I mean, you know, the biggest decision they might be is, am I going to have cornflakes or Fruit Loops for mm-hmm. breakfast <laughs> that day? Uh, but um, I mean, being a leader is hard. No, it's it's just, it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. You have to be on. Mm-hmm. Well, it takes a, you know, you live, you, you're accountable to those decisions. And that, you know, I think that's one of the other big issues we we face today is lack of accountability. So I, Josh, I, I gotta, I gotta ask you a question. Yes. You failed to ask him if he'd been on a podcast before. You know, I did. We have, we have a question one and question two. Yeah. That's really all we're good for. Well, you were actually, David, you were late. He, I think he asked me, <laughs> uh, he asked me, you were, uh, you're killing that tequila bottle. Yeah. I saw yeah. you in the bathroom. We can't drink all day unless you start <laughs> that's the morning. Right? Yeah. I think he asked me before he went on record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So he has been on uh, one, but you know, real quick, and I want to, I want to jump but, off. But here. is it as was it as incredible experience as this? Oh, this I'm is surprised the best. Josh didn't ask that question. Well, I just assume this is the best one you've ever this been is on. The, yeah, yeah, this is absolutely Those are garbage. The, best. the ones you were before. That's right. <laughs> Unless it was Rogan. If it was, tell me. Man, that was my own podcast, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you see? Is there any room for this type of product in the world you're going into? Uh, in terms of podcasts yeah. or, yeah, I think so. I mean, people love to hear stories. Our brain's wired for stories. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about that when Josh said you were going to come on and, and, um, there's a, there's a, there's a, an old barber here in town and, uh, Mr. Lee. And he used to have a, uh, a barber shop that was right there on San Felipe or 
as my aunt called it, San Philippi. Yep. Uh, by the train tracks and the old roll-in saloon. Yeah, I know what we're talking about. And he owned the roll-in saloon and owns lots of real estate. The interesting thing about him, and he's still got a, it's one of my favorite dive bars in town. It's downtown uh, by the uh, flyway, whatever it is, not too far away from the, um, I think it's the Lone Star Bar. I can't remember. My buddy Ryan Hicks likes to, likes to go there. But this guy is, he's just a phenomenal guy. You know, he's, he's been around, he knows Willie Nelson, he's got the big old beard and he's been around for a long time, drives old school Cadillac, just one of the coolest guys. But he owns a tremendous amount of real estate. Hmm. And the reason he does, he's, he's been there talking to people for years, sitting in the, sitting in the barber chair, you know, attorneys, judges, bankers, et cetera. And they're talking about this, that, and the other. And he gets to know him. He's a personable guy. He's a great guy to have a beer with. And, um, you know, I thought, man, I said, I'm going to ask Ben that question. I mean, you're sitting, you're, you've got an hour's time with somebody every two, three, four weeks, maybe once a month, if they're not, you know, wearing the long hair. And, mm-hmm. and you know, how cool would it be to, to, have a conversation with somebody from the barber chair, mm-hmm. which I thought would be kind of cool. And I start thinking about Josh and I, the podcasting. I mean, you know, you got a cool environment where you can, where you can have, you got people drinking cocktails. Oh, you're talking about doing a podcast like in the chair while they're I'm like there. talking about mm-hmm. the gents place, like mm-hmm. the gents place p- podcast where you've got Emmett Smith, you mm-hmm. got Emmett Smith sitting in the chair and you're going, so Emmett, Talk to me about this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. Or Joe Smuckatelli, whoever Joe Smuckatelli mm-hmm. is. You know, it's like, that would be pretty interesting. Yeah. I think, get them relaxed, get them while they're getting a haircut. You could do mm-hmm. you could do a weekly show or whatever. I mean, don't you think it would be a good idea, Jonathan? Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan got a haircut for you, by the way. Yeah. Thank this you. It looks everybody great. wanted to be cleaned up here. <laughs> but but uh, anyways, didn't mean to answer your question, no. but I was thinking about that, and I go, you know, that would be a brilliant idea if you had, like, Maybe you had it in your flagship deal where, mm-hmm. you know, like they've got these private rooms yeah. where you, you're not, you know, they've got the chairs lined up next to you and they have these private rooms, but you could have like a podcast studio set up in one of those private rooms. I think that's actually a great mm-hmm. idea. And, and it would be an interesting way for some of your artists to tell their stories, but at the same time, some of your clients and stuff would be interesting. I mean, you could cover, you could cover the waterfront. We only take 20% of that idea. Yeah. That's yeah. perfect. That's uh, that's interesting. I'll tell you, there. I know everything wrong and everything I shouldn't know in any given part of town where Jen's place is located because all the dirt right goes into the barbershop. All I have to do is just you want to know what's going on in Frisco, right? Just can call Kenzie up and go, what's going on in Frisco right now? And we got the beat on every politician, every every thing that's going on in yeah, the, in the Mc- city. So, McKenzie, so yeah, that I was think, my old girl. So yeah, she's now running there. it. Still, yeah, she's like running it. it. Yeah, it's nice. still there. So how long, how, so <laughs> when was the last time you were there and how long has she, how long has she worked? That's t- she's been there at least 10 years. Yeah, eight, eight years, maybe eight, nine so, years. So what would you say you're, you were talking about your retention. What do you, what would mm-hmm. you say your turnover rate is? And folks, well, we, cause that's one of my biggest concerns. Like, I go, you know, you grew up with certain barbers and they get old and they retire or whatever. And, you know, that was my, I tried to go place, you know, different places and mm-hmm. you like one and then she'd get upset or he'd get upset and they'd go to the next deal because they're like, yeah, man, they can go wherever they want to go. Mm-hmm. So I, I, what's your, what's your, 
Well, it's hard when you're franchising, yeah. you know, because that's there's a whole other layer that you can't control. And so it, it what I've found in driving retention is people knowing that you care about them personally first, right? And two, um, you are myopically focused. You are relentless about helping them be the best version of themselves, however they define that. But we are in a constant, never-ending state of improvement at every, with every single individual in the company, which collectively will make the company better. And so that's what drives retention is just caring about people personally. You, you truly do care about them and saying, where do you want to go next? What do you want to be in six months? What do you want to be in a year? What's your vision for yourself two or three years from now? Do you want to own a house? Do you want a new car? Do you want to pay off the credit card debt? Like, what is it? Do you want Saturdays off? It's different for everybody. You want to teach yoga half the time, but the other half, you're making so much money cutting hair that it doesn't matter. Great. You know, and so it's just taking a keen interest and writing that down and the manager driving it. Um, So our franchisees need to latch on to that concept and take it seriously. And that's the hard part, you know, because we don't manage their employees. We can't legally manage their employees. So, so that's a, that's an interesting point. Are there any franchise models that, that you pay attention to or kind of leadership models? I, I think of like Chick-fil-A, for example, mm-hmm. wildly successful. They are not even open on Sundays. If they were, they'd be, they, they probably have a, 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 a enterprise value greater than probably Apple. their best day of the yeah, week. Yeah. 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 And, and, but they have their principles. They've not changed that, which is kind of interesting, but I, um, I look at their 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 stores. Not that I eat at Chick Fil A all the time, although it's, that's because your kids aren't old enough to take you there all yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look at what they what they have across their kind of their they've got the franchise model, and they're very strict about who can become a franchisee and all this kind of stuff. And I've looked at others over the time, like my old man. I think he if he could own a gazillion Waffle Houses, he would. Just hysterical, <laughs> but. Uh, is there any is there any franchise model that you you look at for ideas or have mm-hmm. looked at or yeah chick fil a is a great example um we have the added challenge of employing artists you know sure. and people that are naturally independent and creative and buck the system and and want to be themselves they want to wear what they want to wear they want to show up when they want to show up and so chick fil a is a great example Starbucks is another one that's not franchised but has come kind of an eclectic workforce and you know, they've had to bend on things like, okay, sure. you can have nose rings, or you can have tattoos, or you can wear your hair this way or, or whatever. And so I think Starbucks is another great example of they care about their people. They've got a consistent product. They've got standards in place, but you can still be yourself. That's where we kind of need to play. We've tried to like, everybody needs to wear this uniform. Everyone needs to do it this way. We are the four seasons of men's grooming. We're the Rich Carlton of men's grooming. We're the Capital Girl of men's grooming. And it just didn't work that well. That's where you see retention start to suffer because they go, I didn't get into this business to wear a suit and tie. And so that's like, whether it's oil and gas and your creatives there and your innovators, like you've got to give them some room to be innovative without you know, giving them too much rope to hang themselves. Um, and then people, even those people, creatives, they like structure in some, it's like they, they, they like the boundary of they need a big sandbox to play in, but they still like the borders of a sandbox. Right. Because if you don't give them any borders and go, it's an endless sandbox, you know, create whatever you want to create. Well, the problem is when, David, you create, 
you know, sandcastle um, that that encroaches on my sandcastle because we're all being creative, then we then we get into problems and everybody hates working together. So it's trying to it's a balance. It's trying to create the structure, but with enough room for people to be themselves. I think we need to create the Jin's Place Fletcher Azul Tequila Podcast. I mean, in Frisco and River Oaks, I think you need to. Have, I think you need to have. Just it. You could, make, how many people could you get down there? Well, I mean, you could interview every one of your customers. I listen. I'm in. I mean, it'd be awesome. I, I'm. I'm. I want to do. I told Josh before. I'm interested in. Uh, I have not talk told about building, David any of that. By talk about that. building yeah. brand value. Talk about being. We're we're all synced up here. I mean, no, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it it, it is, and you know, the thought of because the clientele coming in there is the business leaders of whatever city that you're going into. Yeah, so. you could talk to Aaron. He, I bet he could he could do some, like, uh, black quail apparel in there, you know, and stuff. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. telling. We're crazy. trying to get them set up. Yeah, we'll, we'll uh, Really, all I'm trying to do is just, I'm angling for a meeting with Emmett here. Like, I, <laughs> I just want to be there one day to, like, deliver coffee, and then I'll be awkwardly asking for something. So well, I want to sit down and talk to Jerry Jones and understand what, what he's thinking about the, about the shale gas yeah. there that nobody else is really focused on. Well, so, so yeah, you so make, we do. We asked the beginning question that I question. forgot, which was, have you been on a podcast? Mm-hmm. Yes. The second one, the one we always finish up with, and you are the youngest guest we've had in that chair. And uh, we are the largest, you know, oil mm-hmm. and gas podcast out there. Fastest growing. I mean, there's a couple mm-hmm. of cool adjectives that go with this. So what I'd like to know is, you know, at 37, is there something you would tell your younger self, you know, <laughs> At, ah, yeah, you beat Aaron. Aaron Marquez had just turned 38. So that's right. You are the youngest one we've had in there. So is there is there something you would tell yourself, a piece of advice, wisdom, uh, a credo that you live by, um, whether it be 10 years ago or 15 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, that you'd like to pass on to somebody else? I, I mean, I have this on repeat every day of my life is that you get what you focus on, you know, and what you focus on, you move towards. And so where you're spending your time, in your head, you're going to manifest that, you know, out in the real world. And so if you're spending time going, why does this always happen to me? I can't believe I, you know, I didn't, you know, grow the business this way, or I can't believe I lost this person or just this negative self-talk, you're going to move in that direction. Like the universe is going to pull you there, even if you, even if you on the outside don't look like you're going there. And so it's just to try to get your head right, your mindset right, and and focus on what you want and tell yourself that and repeat that over and over again. And don't let any anyone stand in your way because, I mean, my, my boss told me, you know, like this is the worst idea ever to start the gents place. You know, he was a $2,000 an hour paid consultant in Bain & Company. He goes, you're 25 years old. You have no net worth. You have a son six months old, who had a massive open heart surgery and you need health insurance, what are you going to do about it? You're starting a business, an industry where you have zero experience. You're starting the highest price point business in an industry where you have no experience. It's the worst economy I've ever seen. I've always thought you're a smart guy, but man, you're really proving me wrong. And you've got to be able to just put blinders on and stay focused if you know that's what you want to do. doesn't mean not to take feedback, but when you hone in on something, you go, I want to be an entrepreneur, be a freaking entrepreneur, right? If you know that you hate working for the man, do that. And don't let anyone convince you otherwise and go, oh, man, it's, maybe it's not the right time. You should save up some money. No, this is what I want to do in my life, you know? So that, for me, 
you know, there's a lot of people sitting on the sidelines not creating their own businesses, but they want to, and they're complaining about working for somebody, right? Make a decision and and do it, just like you know the marine marine gentleman said. But I think though, just 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 a warning statement there. Mm-hmm. It's all about the execution. I think there are mm-hmm. a lot of people that go, "Oh, I'm going to go do this," but they stop. They mm-hmm. see the fog, the fog rolls in, they stop. Mm-hmm. And so you see a lot of people just, you know, spire out of control because yeah. they feel like they've they failed. So mm-hmm. your point, you better buckle in if you're going to do it. No because doubt, it is man. it is nonstop. A bumpy ride. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I haven't met anybody where they haven't experienced some major turbulence yes. along the way. Well, Ben, we're going to let you, uh, we want to give you some plugs here. So how can people get a hold of uh, the companies that you want to um, have them take a look at. Yeah, thank you for that. So uh, thegentsplace.com for our, our brick-and-mortar brand, rascalman.com and resconcierge.com, R-E-S-concierge.com are our three main businesses that, okay. uh, that people can visit. Yeah, I wrote down, what is a concierge telecom company? But That's, that that's is, Rescon, yeah, yeah Resconcierge, okay. yeah. So that's our outsourced, onshore, omni-channel concierge You mentioned company. SMS, that's text, right? Yeah. So we, you know, Two years ago, we talked about internally that felt like text was going to be a huge way to communicate mm-hmm. with people. Has that just blown up for you guys? Is that a great way to still get oh, yeah, people people's love attention? It. Absolutely. And we're the only company at the Gents Place in our industry that provides two-way SMS communication. So you could text, you know, yeah, right now. And, from, oh, you use text? Yeah, text I, get, I, get, I get it from, from you guys on yeah, that's but, but handy, I mean, you actually. could text in and go, "Hey, you have something on Friday, or I can't make my appointment next Friday. Can you switch it to wherever and and go back to your work, and you'll get something back usually within a few minutes." And you say hour. you're you're looking to expand that into oil and gas. Oil and gas. I mean, we we see so many different verticals, mm-hmm. but you know, a lot of these businesses have pulled their in office resources to virtual, mm-hmm. and so now your receptionist that was working in your office may not you may not feel comfortable with her working out of the office or there may not be enough work for her, but you still need someone to answer the phones. So these fractional phone answering, email management, admin services allow the practitioner or the clinician or the business executive do whatever they do best. Like, should you really be spending your time picking up every phone call because you're worried about missing the business, right? So for you can hire a fractional service like us for as low as $400 a month. And that's res concierge, R-E-S concierge. Yeah. Dot com. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you coming down to. Uh, Thanks for the so, invite. And, man. Well, and, and, you know, this is a little bit of a sappy moment here, mm-hmm. but I started uh, Galtway in that Galtway is one of the companies that I own mm-hmm. in 2013, but I planned it all through 2012 mm-hmm. to get it ready for, for uh, 13. And, you know, that's really when I met you and, mm-hmm. and saw what the Gents Place was doing. So, I didn't know how old you were, really. Mm-hmm. And I knew we were close to the same age. We're apparently not as close as I thought we were. <laughs> You're old, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just, I looked up to what you were doing mm-hmm. because it was, there was so much excitement around you and the gents place at that time throughout all of Dallas. So, um, you know, part of what we ended up doing was just, I, I stole energy from the people mm-hmm. that I was around and I just like, we can do this. I can do this. Mm-hmm. So I, you've been a, an inspiration. I appreciate uh, mm-hmm. just your friendship. Thank Thanks, you for man. coming down today. David, thanks for uh, moving some stuff around to get him in our schedule. Yeah, no, it's was good, good conversation and enjoyed meeting you and keep up the great work. Yep, you as well. I'll bring my pink shirt next time. Yeah, perfect. Well, so that's going to wrap us up on the Oilfield 360 podcast from the Fletcher Azul Tequila Studio 
Um, look up the gentsplace.com and the other uh, spots. We're going to put some of those in the link below. Uh, ben, Davis, thank you for your time. David, per the usual, thank you for everything. Yeah, it was good. Thank uh, you, guys. Thanks, guys. This episode of the Oil Field 360 podcast was brought to you by the following companies. EIV Capital, a growth equity-focused private equity firm, which has been providing capital to the North American energy industry since 2009. The team has extensive experience across the entire energy value chain. We invite you to visit EIVCapital.com and learn how we partner with entrepreneurs to build businesses. Merit Advisors, crafting holistic tax solutions to improve your cash flow and add profit back to your bottom line. When it comes to state and local taxes, Merit is the expert in the oil and gas industry. Visit MeritAdvisor.com. World Oil. For more than 103 years, World Oil has provided global decision makers with coverage of the latest market intelligence and technological advances relating to the upstream oil and gas industry. To subscribe and learn more about these essential resources, please visit worldoil.com slash subscribe. Thank you to our sponsors, Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, SimmonsPSC.com, Lockton Global Energy and Marine, Lockton.com, Tomahawk Safety, TomahawkSafety.com, Prang & Associates, Prang.com, Daniel Energy Partners, DanielEP.com, EIV Capital, EIVCapital.com, Galtway Marketing, GaltwayMarketing.com, Range Valuation Services, RangeValuationServices.com, Merit Advisors, MeritAdvisor.com, World Oil, WorldOil.com, Fletcha Azul Tequila, FletchaAzulTequila.com. For more information on today's guest and to learn more about our sponsors, please follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or at oilfield360.com. Piper Sandler Companies, NYSE PIPR, is a leading investment bank and institutional securities firm driven to help clients realize the power of partnership. Securities brokerage and investment banking services are offered in the U.S. through Piper Sandler & Company, member SIPC and FINRA, and Europe through Piper Sandler Limited, authorized and regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission. Asset management products and services are offered through four separate investment advisory affiliates, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC-registered Piper Sandler Investment Management, LLC, PJC Capital Partners, LLC, and Piper Sandler and & Company, and Guernsey-based Parallel General Partners Limited, authorized and regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, are the energy specialists of Piper Sandler.